Go ahead and start. My name is Russell. I'm going to be teaching today in uh, Tim's absence. Tim is in Portland. Uh, speaking to uh, the group out there, that one of the churches that uh, helped him out with the Good News Tour when they were out there a month or so ago. So we want to wish him well. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you today to acknowledge you as our Creator and our Redeemer, and we want to thank you for going to such great lengths to win us back to trust and acceptance to the life and death of your Son, while and serve. I want to ask that you guide our study this morning. Uh, send your angels and your Holy Spirit here to lead us, to give us a greater understanding about who you are and how you, uh, how much you love us and, and the ways that you want to help and heal us. I pray for those of our members who are not here. pray for those who are our members who are hurting, who are sick. Uh, we ask that your healing hand be laid on them and bring them safely back to us in the future. We want to continue blessing on this class corporately and individually. And when you come again, may we all be standing ready. In Jesus' name, amen. We're studying lesson number five in the, our discipleship quarterly. It's titled Gender and Discipleship. I actually want to go straight to Sunday's lesson because Sabbath's lesson is kind of a, a preamble to Sunday's lesson. We'll include it uh, anyway. We get someone to look up Luke twenty, Luke one twenty six to thirty eight, and just read the whole passage about uh, the angel's conversation with Mary. One month later, God sent the angel Gabriel to the town of Nazareth in Galilee with a message for a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to Joseph from the family of King David. The angel greeted Mary and said, "You are truly blessed." The Lord is with you. Mary was confused by the angel's words and wondered what they meant. Then the angel told Mary, Don't be afraid. God is pleased with you, and you will have a son. His name will be Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of God Most High. The Lord God will make him king, as his ancestor David was. He will rule the people of Israel forever and his kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, How can this happen? I am not married. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come down to you, and God's power will come over you. So your child will be called the Holy Son of God. Your relative Elizabeth is also going to have a son, even though she is old. No one thought she could ever have a baby, but in the last three, but in three months, she will have a son. Nothing is impossible for God. Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. Let it happen as you have said. And the angel left her. Okay, thank you, Ron. There are a couple of things that jumped out to me uh, about this passage, but I want to I hear from the class. Uh, what, what is it that, is there anything striking you guys find about this? I mean, we could, you know, Theologians have spent lifetimes um, trying to wrestle with and discern this this whole concept of the Immaculate Conception. But what is it about this passage that kind of leaps out at you? It's faith and willingness of God. You know. Okay. Not usual. Happen. All right. Could you elaborate? Perhaps. I mean, I don't want to put you on the spot, but. Well, uh, just. Just the more you think about Mary's circumstances, the more, I don't know. I, I like where you're going. I just feel really out of place and uncomfortable and 
just really afraid of what everyone else is going to, my family and my values and what's really going on in my life. And willing to put that on the line for God's plan. Okay. Really awesome. Consider her being a female and, and having at least some sort of knowledge about how pregnancies develop. She admits, in my version, this, in her version Ron read, says, how can this be? I'm not married. My version says, how can this be? I'm still a virgin. So consider the, the questions that must have been rattling <clears throat> back and forth in her head about, about how. I mean, not necessarily why. I mean, she probably hadn't even processed that yet. She's wondering how. But she apparently believed and went right through with it. Okay, why did she believe? Because she believed in God. But there's also a little bigger picture because in their days she would have been stoned if they would find out that she was pregnant without being uh, without being married. And okay. by their law they had to stone her. So she realized that if Joseph would not accept her, find out that she's already pregnant then she could have been stoned and she had to put her life on the line and to sacrifice everything for that decision to trust God okay good there's another stumbling block to her faith as it were that she could have struggled with a desire to save herself yes you know one angle you think she at least be aware that there was messianic prophecies uh, people are aware of this the 490 year process <clears throat> coming to an end and maybe she didn't find out about Elizabeth till now, and that's at least the one safe person that seemed to definitely believe her, you know, hands down. Joseph, noble guy, but he wasn't going to quietly put her away. So it's, you know, she believed that, hey, the man who was coming, and, you know, some virgin would conceive, and, you know, she, she was one to believe this was an angel of light, not an angel of darkness. Okay. Did the angel ask her to believe what she was being told without providing some evidence? No. Who said no? No. He, no. He, um, what evidence did the angel give? About her um, About her own cousin. Her cousin, her own cousin was far beyond childbearing years, and yet was six months pregnant. Now, Scripture doesn't tell us whether or not Mary knew about it at that time or not, but she was provided evidence. She may have understood Scripture. She may have understood prophetic Scripture even. Um, I don't... I'm not a historian. I don't know how well-versed women were in Scripture at that time. Um, my gut tells me they weren't all that well-versed, but I, I don't know. The Scripture doesn't reveal it to us as far as, as far as I know. But the angel provided some evidence that miraculous things had happened, and she's being promised that they would happen. So the angel provided her some evidence, and this is how, this is how God works. God doesn't expect us to believe and trust in him without evidence. How about the angel itself? That was some evidence. Yeah. It, the angel was some evidence, but you know, here again, you know, Satan himself can ma- is masquerading as an angel of light. So, it still was supernatural. Yeah, no, certainly it was. And you know, she was fearful. That's, that's a very common reaction we see when, when people are confronted with a holy angel. They immediately are fearful, and the angel says, be not afraid. You are highly esteemed of God. I had two hands. There was one over... Yes? 
I'm glad that we're saying some evidence, because certainly a woman after menopause who gets pregnant, that is God giving, you know, that is God, of course. But, wow, and she was having sexual relations probably with her husband, and yep. here Mary is a virgin, mm-hmm. and she's going to be pregnant. That's some evidence. Uh, the angel is some evidence, but, wow. Oh, absolutely! This yeah, is, I, I don't. This is way beyond that, faith-wise. I agree. I, and I don't mean to. I don't want to diminish Mary's faith, but she was given. She was given some evidence, and she was. Some. She was okay to ask questions. She was. It was okay to ask how. You know, it, uh, it was okay to to vet this out in a, in a way, in a manner, so that she could come to some at least rudimentary acceptance and understanding of it. Uh, two thoughts. Uh, the fact what had happened in the temple with Zacharias Elizabeth's husband, I think most likely had filtered out to many areas because that was exciting to have this guy come out, said he had seen an angel, couldn't speak, mm-hmm. and you know, and evidence that supporting, and then the fact that his wife's pregnant. Um, and it's been a while since I've checked what Ellen White might say in this, but no, Mary was a fantastic teacher versus, I don't know, she just started learning scripture during the pregnancy versus, I think she must have known about Isaiah. I think somehow God's providence made sure she would have heard that by by some teacher, whether it's her own family teaching her or how she was you know, friends of the family of the, of the scribes and fair, you know, the teachers. She obviously was able to teach Jesus well. So most likely, I think she had scripture to base it on and then all these other things. Well, hey, if God's will, I'm willing to go for it, which is amazing because she did take the risk of ridicule and rejection. And as Sergio pointed out, potentially uh, banishment and death. We don't know how much God might, might have spoken to her that they didn't have listed in the Bible. Uh, that's also true. We don't we don't know anything about her upbringing or 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 what sort of. She was a godly person. Uh, you know, how the Holy Spirit uh, moved and worked in her life up until this point. That's correct. Russell, I'm glad you're bringing this up because um, this week I've had a number of conversations with people about faith. And basically, a lot of people believe that faith is believing without knowing or understanding at all. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think this is an important point because uh, I hadn't thought about it, but Mary did have some evidence. Mm-hmm. True, it wasn't. You know, full-blown 110% evidence that the angel and the Lord was with her. But um, I think that we tend to think that faith is believing without knowing nothing, you know, whatever. And it's not because we have a relationship with Jesus. We've had past relationships, past experiences with him and all those kinds of things as well. That's part evidence. Uh, mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it, it's a dangerous error that has crept into Christianity that, that preaches we're to believe. Without knowing. You know, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. That, that, mm-hmm. that bumper sticker type soundbite mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, exactly, that's exactly what our enemy wants us to do. He wants us to believe without evidence. I think there might be something to said to be said for the quality of evidence versus quantity of evidence. Absolutely. Sometimes there can be a, a huge quantity of evidence, and it's not necessarily put up against one other piece of evidence with quality. And so, just a, a, a personal relationship has more quality evidence than everyone else saying about their relationships how it impacts you. But your the evidence within you is uh, is that one experience with Christ, that relationship with Christ, is much stronger and, and much more qualitative than everyone else's experience, although they can influence you. Mm-hmm. 
So whether or not she had a lot of experience or knowledge, coming in contact with the angel and having him give her this information would have been a quality piece of evidence. Russell, another thing, too, is she just wasn't picked at random. Well, she didn't know that. Yeah. I mean, she, to her, it probably did seem fairly random. I mean, to us, looking back 2,000-some years ago, yeah, we can see we can see that God picked her out because he knew her character and he knew her, her heart and he knew, you know, he knew her from before she was born. But I, I suspect that, uh, that she felt it was pretty, pretty random and pretty scary. To the faith and the evidence. In my, at least in my experience, God gives you enough evidence where you can base your decision. But he still gives you just to make a decision. He does not take it away from you. If you would force all the evidence on you, then you would not have to make a decision. Then you would. But here, well, he gives you enough where you can stand and look. Okay, this is what God gave me evidence, and that's what I'm feeling. That's what I'm thinking. Which way should I go? And there's always left for making a decision, either for God or for my own well-being. And a little bit of doubt. Yes. Okay. How does her last statement, you know, be it unto me as you have said, how does that... How, well, we're talking about discipleship here. How, how, is, how is Mary a disciple of God? Well, she's surrendering everything to him, be it. Did and she I, surrender her free will? I mean, could she have refused? Said, I'm, you know, thanks, but no thanks. She could have, but but she decided that whatever God said she would do. Okay, she trusted him based on evidence that was presented by the angel, and who knows what kind of evidence she had. You know, we're not given privy to the relationship she had with God prior to that, but I, I would imagine she had a close relationship with him to be that trusting. Surrender is a good word. I get back from the days I used to play army and all that. You know, surrender is always when you're defeated and stuff. And it's exciting. She realized God's on her side, and she's all for it. She's willing to go for it. She's surrendering to her own wishes, maybe what her plans were. Even though she still married the same man, who ironically had already been married before. Not usually. I got a son and a daughter, and use your preferences for someone to marry someone who doesn't have. Is where he lost his spouse, or through divorce, or through death, and has kids, and uh, you know. So it's neat that she was willing to go on to this adventure, of God. And uh, it's, it's a rare time. It's, you know, obviously, see someone willing to cooperate God right off the bat without going through multiple Jonah-type experiences. Yes, sir. The plot that was laid out by the angel had to at least run a bell on this woman. So she would not swallow this angel announcement hook, line, and sinker unless she knew that there was a messianic prophecy buried a millennium back in the Old Testament. That's a valid point. And so she realized that she is just one religious lottery of her day. That of all the women for centuries that have been waiting to be the mother Messiah, that the time is now there for her to be the one to be picked of God to deliver this Messiah child. And she was picked at the appropriate window. If she'd been picked before she was espoused, she would have been a prostitute. If she'd been picked after she'd married Joseph, she would have been a natural woman bearing a child. God had to pick in the espoused state for this story to make any sort of sense for theological history. And so this was the window that God stuck his hand in and says, it's time to act to bring in the Savior. Okay, good. Thank you. All right, let's move ahead to Monday's lesson. Linda's going to read uh, Luke 8, 1 through 3. We're going to discuss uh, 
some more women disciples. So sometime later, Jesus traveled through towns and villages, preaching the good news about the kingdom of God. And the twelve disciples went with him, and so did some women who had been healed of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, who was called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had been driven out. Jonah, Joanna, whose husband Chusa was an officer in Herod's court. And Susanna and many other women who used their own resources to help Jesus and his disciples. All right, what, uh, what jumps out about uh, from this passage? Well, I understand when I did um, some other study about disciples back in those days and uh, when people had were teachers and then their followers, it was mainly male followers. And a woman was uh, incompetent, had to stay in the home, uh, wasn't... You're smiling. <laughs> I, no, I'm just thinking of a text in Corinthians that says, you know, the woman should stay silent in church. You know, <laughs> uh, you know, and I'm wondering how that gets reconciled, but probably shouldn't bring that up. Go ahead. But uh, women back in those days really didn't have, uh, they weren't expected to join in on religious or philosophical or political discussions. Right, because it was assumed that they had nothing to offer. Right. It was incorrectly assumed. But Jesus um, uh, not only allowed it, but he he encouraged them because he reached out to them and healed them of their diseases, their demons, a variety of things. Well, the culture just was set up that way, just like it is in many Arab countries today. The women yeah. just, they're not supposed to come out and lead out on anything. Men mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm amazed that the women had money that they could contribute. Oh, I okay, exactly. I, I wanted to touch on that as well because that was one of the things that jumped out um, to me is that they were supporting his ministry with their shekels, and these women had money. They may have been the wives. Uh, well, one was the wife of someone who worked in Herod's court, King Herod's court, uh, and. Who knows what kind of danger she put herself and her husband in by following Christ around, whom Herod had tried to kill. Um, some may have been widows with inheritances, and they, they chose to dedicate their dollars to um, to support his ministry. Ron, you had a comment? Well, you just said what I was about to what I was going to say. I found it, one of my translations had a footnote that, that indicated that some of these ladies may have been widows that used. Mm-hmm. Uh, money that they had that way. Okay. Yes. Recently I visited a Pompeii exhibit in the Art Museum of Birmingham, Alabama, and something that really struck me there was uh, they had all the artifacts from the different households, and through the through some of the artifacts, they're able to tell that there are actually some uh, women who were head of the household. I mean, the one of the households that had like the most wealth of all had huge old gold bracelet weighed like one and a half pounds. And it indicates that a woman was the head of the household, and apparently quite wealthy too. So, hmm. and you, Pompeii was you right mean after. She, she was she managed the household, yes. or she, okay, yeah. Well, I I think that 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 sadly was the role that they were relegated to at that time is you know managing the husband's affairs, and, and many of them controlled large sums of money and large and large sums of wealth, and they. And they controlled, um, they managed, you know, lands and harvests and crops and and, and the income and outflow. Uh, many many women. Uh, so they could have the ability to do this. Thing. Exactly, and 
maybe they're better wired than we are at that. Amen. One thing that's interesting here, just got you is how without God's help, men and women tend to compete and everyone loses. And here, you know, ironically, I think it didn't have an appearance of evil. Some of us set up that these widows or women apparently didn't have the disciples' wives or moms' little concern what's going on here. So, you know, Jesus was able to maintain whatever this following was where there was, you know, had no appearance of evil that could truly be shown. But mm. Sean, he's here to he's here to elevate women and men back to the levels they should be, where they don't compete, they complement each other. I was wondering as I read through this um, whether some of these women may have actually been in love with Christ. I mean, and not just I love him, he's the, he's the Messiah, but a romantic love affair if they were harboring feelings of love for this man. I think it's always that possibility, but I think Jesus, in his wisdom, would not have someone who's infatuated with him, because that would have an appearance of evil if they really weren't there more in a, in a sister role or whatever. I mean, I think Satan would definitely try to take people that have been very beat up. I mean, Mary Magdalene had obviously had some very poor experiences, and she'd had some poor choices the way she had related to men. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus was able to show her you know, a healthy relationship, but apparently he made no romantic overtures to her. Oh, I... I I couldn't agree more. I, I doubt very serious. I, I have no doubt in my mind that he was not romantically inclined as some of the Gnostic uh, Gospels and some of the some of the Hollywood uh, productions would indicate. But Scripture tells us that Christ was tempted in all ways as we were, as we are, and that would include sexually. Um, I don't know. I, it's just something that, that I wonder about. I wonder whether some of these women may have been in love with him. He was single and eligible, so I don't see why not. I, yeah, I don't know one way or the other. Yeah, I think it's important to realize he wouldn't invite him in his own inner circle, though. So I think, I don't know, I think at some point they had a, an insight. Now, what will happen in the new earth, whatever, whatever. That's, that's engineered to, well, he was to both steady human. into that we don't have much insight there. But I think it just, it's important Jesus did not have an appearance of evil, so he was able to relate to people in a pure way and vice versa. If they were following the, with him. To the Pharisees, he had an appearance of evil, though. I mean, they... They killed him for healing on the Sabbath. They, they they disdained him for hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. So, yeah, but he never did evil though. It has oh, fear. absolutely. Yeah, not. It went against their traditions. It made them uncomfortable. And God's good about making us uncomfortable sometimes. So we need to be careful that we don't so much avoid the appearance of evil that we don't mingle with people who desperately need what we have. Russell, I think yes. that it was refreshing to some of these women who had been used and abused. They have a man who wasn't expecting anything of them. Oh, I agree. Absolutely. Like, and so that's why they were attracted to him, because they knew that they were safe in his presence. They felt no condemnation, and they felt no... They, they didn't feel like they were going to be uh, used okay. like they had been. That's a, he respected that's a, them. He valued them as a person, not as a woman. Good. Exactly. Okay. Let's look ahead to... Yes. If I were in the place of one of those women that had been healed by Jesus back then, I think I would be following him out of gratitude and just delight that that I was okay again. Do we have any present day comparisons? Are are we being healed by Christ now? Sure. The intention is that we are to be healed. Are we following him? Are we sharing our story of healing with those who need to hear it? 
What about Jerry's kids? Who? Jerry Lewis, Jerry's kids. You know, I think we see plenty of examples of that uh, in the medical profession. Um, and I kind of wondered if some of these uh, ladies or even men, it just talks about women, but if they weren't used to sort of testimonials, things seemed to be a, a lot more sensory back then. Uh, no written word or very little. And, uh, and I, I kind of wonder if, if they weren't along, yes, out of gratitude, um, but that gratitude also helped uh, Jesus convey his story because of the, uh, uh, the miracles that occurred. All right, let's look ahead to Tuesday's lesson. This is a familiar story. Someone read Mark 5, 25 through 34. This is about the woman that just touches uh, Jesus' clothing and gets healed. Mark 25, uh, excuse me, Mark 5, verses 25 through 34. Jesus was trying to establish a new type of kingdom where everybody was equal, where he did not see in female or male, where he seen that anybody and everybody could do ministry for him, and doesn't matter what, doesn't matter if they're women or if they does not have a political or upstanding position in society, he still can use them in their own way, and to use their finances and their talents for the kingdom. Good. Shout out the text. Whoever's got it. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was free from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be free from your suffering. Thoughts? Yes. You know, if we get our faith healed, it's nice for body gets healed. You know, but you know, most people Jesus resurrected and healed, they still have another funeral or have a funeral and some people have two funerals and it's knee heal. Always heal our faith. Sometimes our bodies don't get healed of our loved ones, our own self. They always heal our faith. I mean, it's slower than we like because of our difficulty with abuse and neglect or different things. He will always heal our faith. I thought it was kind of interesting that a lot of times when Jesus healed, he'd be telling everybody about this. Mm-hmm. Keep it quiet. This was totally different. Yeah, he forced her to to. Here she had a secret, she had a a secret healing, mm-hmm. unlike the rest, mm-hmm. and a public display afterwards. Mm-hmm. I once heard a sermon on this story, and I don't know the validity of the research that he presented, but it, it stuck in my mind just because it sounded so humorous to me. The Apparently, the Jewish physicians and mystics of the day, uh, there was a lot of sorcery and there was a lot of um, superstition and a lot of quackery 
that was uh, abundant in the medical professions of the day. I like today, too. Yeah, yeah some similar parallels to now. Um, but apparently the, the common remedy for this problem that this woman suffered from was she was to go out and find a uh, female white donkey and follow this donkey around and pick the corn kernels from the donkey's dung and take those corn kernels unwashed and put them in a new linen bag and hang that bag around her neck and that was going to cure oh her, uh, her constant bleeding. And yes, it's amusing, right? That, 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 this is why the story stuck in my head because the, the cure, the common cure for this, sounds so ludicrous to us. But she had spent a lot of time and money. I mean, 12 years she dealt with this. Personally, I can't imagine it. Ladies, you guys have a much better idea of what that would be like than I do. Uh, the, the, the trauma and the. And, and especially in, in that culture where they were ritualistically unclean. She, she could not go to temple. She could not uh, have marital relations with her husband. She was, she was a leper for all intents and purposes for a dozen years. The fact that she was willing to... <laughs> what, the, the corn kernels and the dung? Yeah, exactly. And she, she was broken. She, was, she, had reached, uh, she had reached her you know, the last straw. And who knows how she heard about Jesus, but uh, I would imagine that then stories had gotten about, about a blind being healed and the lame being made to walk, and she figured, what have I got to lose? I sometimes I have a problem with like seeing that she was so desperate that then she went after Jesus. Obviously, there's something deeper there, we think, because it wasn't just like she was just at her limit and she didn't know what else to do so oh there's Jesus he's supposedly a miracle worker so I'll, I'll touch him I think she might have felt something more and God rewarded her for her faith like all the other times that God's healed somebody he's like you know had him dip in the river seven times and like why would I do that but these women we've been talking about today have just believed like with all their heart and God's rewarded them for it thank you I saw another hand. Yes. I was just going to point out, you were talking about her being unclean, but um, her touching Jesus by their ceremonial laws would have made him unclean as well. Correct. And I think that's maybe part of why he brought it out to the attention of the crowd and also why she would have been so afraid. Mm. Well, that's a great observation. I hadn't, I hadn't even considered that. Thank you. Any other thoughts or insights into this? Yes, sir. Well, I just think you brought it out to the crowd just because she showed an, an amazing amount of faith, and especially in comparison to, uh, I don't know, the other miracles he had performed. You know, by touching him, she would be healed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. well, she had faith to believe she would be healed. She, she may have had faith in the corn kernels as well. You know, I mean, we don't know. Lori? It's interesting that, that they comment that he felt the healing power go out from him, mm -hmm. almost as if it was involuntary, almost as mm -hmm. if he cannot help but heal true faith. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And 
the fact that he knew it and was conscious of it, not because he directly said, I'm going to perform a miracle on this woman, but because he felt the true unadulterated faith. And it's like he couldn't stop healing power from going out when that type of faith touched mm, Interesting That's look into the character of God. So he didn't condemn this woman for making him unclean. It's amazing that everyone looks really bad here except Jesus and this lady because she had a problem for 12 years. I think people knew about that because you couldn't have contact with her kids, it sounded like. And it's just sad the crowd wasn't somehow trying to say, hey, whether they touched her or not, but let's get this lady, make way. She needs to see Jesus desperately. It wasn't the very first miracle he did. And yet she had suffered at the hands of physicians, and that's embarrassing. That's the realm I work in. And apparently people won't take her money and didn't give her much, you know, advice without some cost at all. But uh, that she suffered, and yet this lady, you know, she, she actually is a window on God that, you know, only she'll show us. And for the rest of eternity, she's going to need to hear her story for the rest of eternity, how and what she'll tell us about God the rest of eternity. We still want to be the crowd, and we don't want to be, quote, the healers that know the gospel somehow make it hard for people to really get to the real Jesus. Okay. Yes, sir. Popular theology preached from Protestant pulpits is that faith faith alone works totally out of the picture. All you need is faith. And if this woman just come and stood 10 feet from Jesus and says, I believe you can heal me, she would have walked away still bleeding. Mm-hmm. She had to get close and reach out and do something, even though it's touched his garment. Faith always is accompanied by an appropriate action or actions. Mm-hmm. It really blows away the theology of just faith alone, 20 feet away, come to church, smile, send a pew, go home, and you So, I mean, is it James that says faith, faith without works, works is, is dead? Okay. Let's move to Wendy's le- Wednesday's lesson. Someone read Luke 10, 38-42. This is the story of Mary and Martha. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a village where a woman named Martha welcomed them into her home. Her sister Mary <coughs> sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was worrying over the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, My dear Martha, you are so upset over all these details. There's really only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and I won't. Okay. Before we discuss this, let me have someone read Matthew 26, 6 through 13, please. This is another story of Christ at, uh, you know, relaxing at someone's house. This happens to be a Pharisee. While Jesus was in Bethany, in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head, lying at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this way, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. I tell you the truth, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in every effort. Do we see any contrasts between these stories? It's in words. Women have faith, had action, their faith through their action. Okay. Let's look at the let's look at the Mary and Martha experience. What was it that was distracting Martha? What was it that was occupying her her mind and her time? Working around the house. 
service. Oh, no. Okay. She was trying to be hospitable. She had a guest. She needed to be a hostess. Is that a bad thing? I mean, isn't, aren't we supposed to be? Yeah, it's one of the spiritual gifts, hospitality. I don't know that he particularly condemned her, but there's a lesson there's a lesson here that can we can we become distracted can we become can we lose our ability to be good disciples by committing ourselves too heavily at church he was also judging her sister and that can be a danger if we're committed to a cause at church and we judge others for not being committed to the same cause okay if Satan can't get you doing bad outright it'll get you doing good bad that you're doing so much good that you're actually of no, uh, you're heavenly minded, you're of no uh, earthly real. This, here, this lady has Jesus, one who's fed thousands of people. Mm-hmm. If a few extra guests have showed up, I think Jesus could take care of it and help Mary, you know, help Martha <laughs> out. And she's not sitting at the feet of Jesus. She's not, you know, there's a gift of oil. Their sister gave priority given. Mm-hmm. I mean, it came later. I'm off on that. But as far as. Uh, She's not connecting with Jesus. She's so busy feeding him, she's not connecting with him. And there's the disciples there too. But Jesus would take care of the food if she needed some help. But she's trying to do it on her own without Jesus. In the in the second story, uh, I think I actually got the wrong version of the story to have it been read. There, there's there's one example where Christ is at. And I think it's Simon's house uh, where he says, "You know, Simon, you when I came in, you did not bring me a bowl." You did not wash my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil. Um, those are the very things that, that uh, you know, those hospitality questions are the things that Martha was trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. How, do we, how do we reconcile the differences? Well, maybe Jesus knew that Mary had a different need, that she really needed to be with him more than maybe Martha was okay. She had maybe committed her life more than Mary had, or who knows what her needs were. And, and, so, Mary, and Jesus knew that he, she needed to be at his feet and listen. So we can't judge other people by what they're doing because we don't know what their needs are. Okay. It sort of shows that she was trying to do things that would please Jesus. She was really sincere in what she was doing. Who, Martha? Yes. Mm-hmm. I, and, I agree. I believe she was sincere in trying to be a good host. In the passage in Matthew that you did read, he says that the poor will o- you will always have, but you will not always have me. Mm-hmm. And I think, at least when I read that, I thought he wasn't saying to ignore the poor, but to put him first and then go out and help the poor. So yeah, and I mean, later in his ministry, he said, you know, the or when he's talking about uh, you know the the two different two different groups that are going to be uh, around at, at at the end of the world it, they're going to they're going to be questions when do we see you poor and naked and hungry and and his answer is in so much as you've done it to the least of these you've done it unto me so he he is the poor he is the the other thing to, to note about this, um, the anointing of Jesus' feet with the perfume, the expensive perfume, is that it was done at, a, at quite an appropriate time. Mm-hmm. The very next day, there was the Passover meal, and Jesus was taken from the Garden of Gethsemane. Mm-hmm. And this perfume, as expensive as it was, probably still wafted on his feet 
And can you imagine Jesus being beaten and then looking at Peter's eyes after he denied him again and still smelling the water yeah, of that even hanging perfume. on the cross. Um, he probably still... It, it was an encouragement to Jesus that mm-hmm. there was someone that cared for him. There was someone that uh, needed him and that he was not doing this for naught. And he was accompanied on his walk you know, to Golgotha and by, by, the by, by the women that had been in his ministry. It's my understanding that in the second story, that's the same Mary. The one who put the perfume on his feet was the same Mary as Martha's sister. So the relationship they were developing in the first story, then that relationship carried over and she's the one that anointed him. Well, we don't know that, though. It's not... That's not really stated. No, it's not stated. Yeah. uh, It's implied in many of our Adventist books. Correct. Mm -hmm. Correct. Thank you. Uh, All right. Let's touch on Thursday's lesson real quick before we have to go our separate ways. This is a story about the woman at the well. That's a fairly long passage. I think we're fairly familiar with it. I'm just going to throw the question that the lesson does out. How did Jesus go about winning the confidence of the woman, the Samaritan woman? And essentially turning her into a disciple. He didn't condemn her. Ah. I, it by mouth. Do you it, think he condemned her otherwise? Well. In his head? It, <laughs> do, you think, do you think he was sitting there thinking, this sleaze? Well. But, and I don't think he condemned her, period. No, That's just a good point. She, she was aware. He tactfully brought out what, what her situation was, which wasn't pretty. Right. She, this guy wouldn't even take her as a wife, apparently, or she wouldn't take him as a wife. You know, so he let her tell her story, and she, yeah, she felt comfortable with him, and you know, she felt accepted. And in fact, it's still amazing this lady who most of us wouldn't want her son or her brother to marry brought the whole city to Jesus. You know, she was an extremely successful disciple on short notice. It's a huge example of our own experience where it says that his kindness is what brings us to repentance. Okay. There was no condemnation. There was only truth. The truth set her free, and her own truth was apparently wrong in her own eyes, as sin is in our eyes when we're, we're, we're confronted with it. It's, it's what's supposed to happen in all of our experiences. Mm-hmm. But he, even before he didn't condemn her, what... Um, what else did he do to, to kind of uh, win her confidence? He asked her about it. And why was that so? Why was that so shocking? Because it, he was uh, not supposed to be having associations with the. Even in today's world, if you ask somebody to help you, many times they're they're willing and ready, and people want relationships. And I really feel like um, you can gain a friend faster by asking them to help you than anything else. I can give you a little personal story on that. I was stopped by a police once for speeding. And I immediately asked him for directions. Give me a ticket. <laughs> Put that one in the memory bank. <laughs> Okay, I see that we have suddenly run out of time. Well, thank you all for your insight and input. One thing I want to say to you. Uh, the song that says prayer is a key to heaven, but faith unlocks the door. It seems that they go together. Okay. Let's uh, close with prayer. Um, 
before, yes. if we could have a special prayer for Dennis, who is in the hospital for pulmonary emboli. He's very young and he's very. Um, Eternal Heavenly Father, we want to hold uh, Dennis Hilton up before you tonight, uh, today, for for healing, for uh, understanding and wisdom with the uh, medical staff that he is uh, going to encounter at Herlanger. We understand that this is not the way. This is not the way things are meant to be. We were we were designed and created to live forever, and we know that your your heart is um, is breaking today and suffering along with him and his family. And we and we ask that you lay your healing hand on him. Please be with the rest of us uh, today and this weekend, and bring us safely back next week. In Jesus' name, Amen. amen.